the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. Crypto regulation has arrived. Late last year, we heard that more than 90 crypto asset service providers applied to be licensed as financial service providers. Though several applicants withdrew from the process last year, so that leaves us with about 75 companies still in the race. We are likely days away from the first batch of licenses being issued by the Financial Sector Conduct Authority. There are several reasons to celebrate this development. For one, it brings South Africa a step closer to being removed from the grey list imposed a year ago by the Financial Action Task Force, which is an international body concerned with monitoring, money laundering and terrorism financing. Regulation of cryptos is seen as a major step in the right direction by the FATF. Secondly, and just as important, it should make it easier for regulators to snuff out scams in their infancy. It probably won't eliminate them, but it will make it harder for scams like Mirror Trading International to get out of the starting blocks. So how will the world of cryptos change now that licensing and regulations are in place? Well, to answer that question, we're joined by Gerard van Deventer, Head of Enforcement at the Financial Sector Conduct Authority. Hi, Gerard. Thanks for joining us once again. Hi, Kiran. Thank you so much, as always, for the opportunity to speak to the people that you reach. There's a lot of messages that we love to get out there, so we appreciate this. Okay, well, let's get into some of those messages. Give us an update on where we stand with the licensing process for crypto companies. And more importantly, when can we expect the first batch of FSP licenses to be issued? Okay, very well. Yeah, just as as some background to put this into perspective, applications for these licenses closed on 30 November last year. So that basically means that everybody that got their applications in, no matter the merit, are allowed to carry on uh, under certain conditions with uh, providing this type of financial services until they get the results of their application. But what it really means, the important part um, for, for, you know, for your listeners is that anybody who did not get a license in must stop immediately. They are not allowed to anymore. They will be doing unregistered business. So um, that's where we are at the moment. If I say that um, under certain conditions, I really am referring to the fact that um, certain of our codes of conduct will now be applicable to them in the interim as well. And these codes of conduct, we can speak more about it if you want, but they uh, they are all aimed at protection of the, of the client and the public. Um, but to answer your question, which I'm sure you would like me to do, the updated statistics at this stage is all in all, my colleagues in the licensing division tells me that we've received 145 applications. Um, so 50 of those were presented at the licensing committee in December. Um, so the results of, of those applications will be seen in the next few weeks, I'm sure, as those messages goes out. Okay, so there were more than 90 companies, and this was the result of a press release, actually, that the FSCA put out, I think it was in November last year. So from original, the original 90 companies, some have dropped out. How many are left in the race, and why was there a drop-off? Is it because some companies felt the costs of regulation were just too high? Yeah, let me, let me say my licensing colleagues is that they've had 20 withdrawals, which is quite a high number, I, I, I imagine. And yes, uh, it's difficult to say, Kiran, but I think you could be right. I mean, cost of regulation is always an issue. 
and especially for the smaller guys, to have a whole compliance framework in your organization does not come for free. I do get that. But I can I can give you some insight into what were the replies when the people withdrew their applications. And it, it seems to turn around the fact that there were quite a few applicants whose whose core business wasn't crypto, but they saw an opportunity to add to their license. Of course, once that interaction starts with the FECA in the application process and the, the reality kicks in of what is necessary to get this license, which is fairly heavy on the, on the entity, um, then some of them decided um, that they will leave it for another day when they actually you know, uh, decide to, to get into the crypto. So that was one thing. The other thing that my colleagues said that also came up quite often was that applicants got stuck on the requirement of having an appropriate key individual because such key individual will need to have very specific and relevant experience, um, qualifications, um, um, and skills. And and um, there's not a lot of that around if you take into account that, you know, crypto hasn't been around for a long time. So um, in those instances, uh, those apl- applicants have also indicated that they will look for a suitable KI and then uh, apply again at a later stage. This is the role of the KI is, is quite important in this whole story. The individual is the person that's responsible for what happens in that company. Is the person that must understand compliance, that must understand the importance of treating customers fairly, and that must have the, 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 the knowledge and skill. Um, so, yeah, that is an important issue, uh, apart from all the other issues as well. Now, what does licensing mean from a practical point of view? And this is a question that a lot of South Africans are wondering. I presume companies will have to submit detailed reports on a monthly basis about their activities. And one of the key areas that you will be monitoring is financial wellness. Do you have a sound balance sheet, for example? And I guess another one will be the security of the cryptos that you're holding in custody if you're an exchange or you're offering in custody services. Are, are these the, the kind of issues that you will be looking at? Absolutely. Um, so that will be the job of my other colleagues, the other division of the FECA, and that's the conduct of business supervision um, divisions. And you're absolutely right. Um, it will change the landscape quite drastically for, for these people. So, yes, um, reports, um, financial soundness reports, very important. Um, And this is not financial soundness in the sense of what you would, for instance, expect from an insurance company where you need really deep pockets and you need to have capital adequacy um, in case of disasters and reinsurance and so forth. This is really financial soundness in terms of can your business keep on operating. And, of course, compliance reports are very important. And there are a lot of things there that's all aimed at protecting the public. So keeping client assets separately, keeping keeping client funds separately, um, those type of things will be very important. And of course, policies is another big issue. They must have a compliance officer, for instance, very important. So that that brings about a, quite a difference in the life of a of a firm. And um, and uh, so if you if you look at uh, what will be applicable to them now in terms of code of conduct, very important. And you know I won't go through the whole list of 
what that entails because it's it's quite a, it's quite a framework but typically acting in the best interest of clients avoiding conflict of interest with clients and if you're providing advice suitability testing big issue you know is this a suitable product for the client and we're talking risk now complete this is a risk discussion and you can imagine Kiran, I'm sure you will agree with me that crypto is a higher risk financial product and in most instances we're talking a derivative product in any event a contract for difference or something similar which increases that high risk so um, so suitability will certainly be a big issue it's certainly not suitable for i think most most people um, you must have money to play with to take this type of chance but that is the those are the some of the changes that it will bring about um, uh, and that that as i say that is all focused on um, are the clients protected properly and are they acting in the best interest of the clients and and fair outcomes for clients needless to say when the FSCA first announced these changes to the regulations, one of the primary purposes was to prevent scams. And we talked earlier about Mirror Trading International. How will you be able to better monitor scams and snuff them out in their infancy? That's a very good question. Um, yes, you are right. That was um, when, when my predecessor started this. That was the big driving force behind it. And there's a, there's a backstory to that, uh, so to speak. And that is... You know, that the people out there, the operators out there that, that is doing things that they're not supposed to do, that's, that's guilty of harmful behavior. Let's just call it harmful behavior for now. And I'm talking, of course, harmful to the public and harmful to their clients. The one thing they don't want is they don't want to fall within our jurisdiction. They would love to stay outside the ambit of our jurisdiction. And they work very hard at that. And one of the things they used to do is they would claim that they're trading in crypto for clients or they would actually trade in crypto for clients. That way, we don't have jurisdiction and um, my division, as you mentioned, is, is enforcement. So that includes investigation. So that takes us out of the picture. And uh, so that's certainly one thing that's going to change um, is I more or less think there's nothing you can do now that doesn't fall within our jurisdiction. Um, so that's one thing you can immediately kick off and, uh, and inquire or investigate uh, what the situation is. And, um, and, and that means that I can warn the public quicker about things without getting us into trouble. We can say that if somebody is trading in crypto for you, they need a license. Don't be fooled by the fact that they claim they don't need a license. Of course, the funny thing here, Kiran, is that um, if if you traded in derivatives, crypto derivatives in the past, you did fall within our jurisdiction, but not many people knew that. So that was one way to fool to fool the public. But of course, it also means that we now, I now, my team now is access to our full investigative and enforcement powers, which um, is very handy if you talk about investigations and then um the the other big thing is uh, you will probably know that we belong to an international organization of regulators and uh, that translates into an international multilateral memorandum of understanding and all that that really means all that fancy words just means that i can get assistance from any other regulator in the world with my investigation and i 
have to reciprocate as well. Because crypto, by definition, is a cross-border issue. So that helps us a lot in, in nailing down investigations. Okay, a lot of these scams were promoted via social media. And I'm talking about this, the crypto scams. That's not always easy for regulators to track. We spoke about Mirror Trading International. Now, that was shut down in 2020. But it was particularly successful in using social media to promote itself. And it did this at the height of COVID when people were obviously afraid about their financial futures. And, but they still got, managed to get tens of thousands of them to sign up making fake promises of earning 10% a month returns on their Bitcoin. Uh, that, of course, was also completely fake. They weren't even trading Bitcoin. How can this type of activity be stopped going forward? That's the question that, that you know, that keeps me awake, <laughs> needless to say, <laughs> because um, scammers uh, are not shy to use developments in, in, uh, in technology to assist them. They're much, much better at it than the, the guys who does it legitimately. And, and you're right. Um, in, in fact, you're also right about mirror trading. There was a small little bit of trading but that was in the name of the owner who's now in a jail in South America waiting to be extradited. So how will we do this? It is a big issue because that information goes out so quickly and so many people can be pulled in so quickly before a regulator can even react. Um, so what we've done uh, for a while now is we have an external expert company that actually monitor social media platforms for us. And if we see something that's suspicious, then at the least we can warn the public about it. So that helps a lot. But you are right, scams are, are definitely moving to the social media platforms. So you're also right, we will never be able to stop it completely. Unfortunately, that is just the way the world is. But what we do these days as well is that we also post our warnings on those platforms. Um, so hopefully people will become aware of the issue quicker. But at the end of the day, it's it's like everything else in terms of combating uh, this type of thing. Consumer education plays a big role. And that's why I'm always grateful for the messages that you get out to the public. And of course, the other thing is visible enforcement being a deterrent effect. You know, we have to tell the world about our enforcement, about our successes. And hopefully that brings about or has a deterrence effect. Okay, changing tack for a minute, just uh, away from crypto for a second. MoneyWeb reported last year on another self-admitted investment scam being run by Craig Warriner of BHI Trust. He's in prison at the moment, as far as I know, in the Johannesburg prison. Do you have any updates on that investigation? Yeah, you're absolutely right. He is in prison at the moment. He's awaiting trial. Um, he actually brought a bail application in December, November or December last year, and we assisted the prosecuting services uh, as far as we could. And um, bail was, in fact, denied. So as I say, you are right, he's, he's still in jail. So our investigation is ongoing. We're putting together a substantial, let's say, a reconciliation and analysis of the money flow. And as you know, that is a tremendous amount of money that flowed there. Um, so that is ongoing. My team interviewed him twice in prison and he, he's made some valuable admissions. But we are also focusing on, of course, the financial advisors who refer their clients to BHI. See why did they do that and what due diligence did they do, et cetera. 
And that process is a, is a current investigation or quite a few investigations actually. And um, late last year, we've, we provisionally suspended one FSP license already. So that's also part of our, our way forward. But it will take time. It's, it's, a, it's a big investigation. Right. I mean, the intermediaries in that particular case, they were earning commissions, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think as high as 5%, which is way above the market average. And you can see the incentive to kind of look the other way if uh, you're making that kind of money. You know, Kieran, that brings us back to what we spoke about a few minutes ago, and that's conflict of interest. If you're looking at a 5% commission uh, versus a point something, it's very, very difficult uh, to make the right decision for the best outcome for the client. And that's, um, I'm not talking specifically about this case now. I'm not quite there yet to to be allowed to talk about detail, but that, as you very well know, is of course the pattern. If people have placed their clients in investments, they shouldn't have placed them most of the time, there's a huge incentive behind it, and that incentive lying in their own pockets. And, and that's not the type of person we can allow to keep their license, really. Um, of course, every case is, is considered on its own merits, but that is a big issue for us. All right. Now, going back to scams, we've been on this subject for a while. But what are some of the trends that you're noticing in financial scams in South Africa? Are there one time crypto was the the mechanism that was being used for these financial scams? Is that still the case or are there other trends that you're noticing? Well, I I think with crypto becoming a financial product, it takes away some of the the motivation to use crypto because you can't now claim you don't need a license anymore. So you're absolutely right. That has died down a bit. So just talking a, a little bit in detail, there's some interesting uh, trends uh, that we've noticed lately. It's nothing to laugh about, but you can't help to smile if you see what happens. So one strong trend, uh, Kieran, that we're seeing is these fake celebrity endorsements. We've had a string of that happening. You know, Johan Rupert was there, Leanne Manas was there, Francois Pinar, Elon Musk <laughs> with, their, <laughs> with their photos. Yeah. And, and just to be clear, they, they, they do not endorse these cryptos, right? No, no. Yeah. We, we, I, one of the things that my team did is they contacted these people or their representatives and just made them aware of it. Um, but yes, no, they were completely unaware that they were endorsing this and making so much money on these products. They were unaware of that as well. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that is that is a very interesting trend. We even had one impersonation of our commissioner. And, and just for the record, he was also unaware of it. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's that's an interesting um a trend and 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 uh, the public must be very very aware of these things it's rather unlikely you're going to get that type of endorsements i know there's a lot of endorsements by influencers i uh, see i i even i even know the name you can see i've got kids so i know what it means <laughs> and then <laughs> um then the other the other uh, thing that we've seen lately is is really a way to um, to bypass the the FIC know your client uh, requirements, and it's something that they refer to as mule crypto accounts. So um, what really happens there is that um, they pick somebody off the street, and they get paid to open a crypto account, also a fiat account, also a money account, and then immediately after the account is opened, they hand over the password and the card and everything to the person who pay them for it. 
So, of course, as you can imagine, if the public pays money into that account, the money hardly touches base in the account and then it's gone. So, of course, when we start our investigation, we end up with a guy that has no idea what's going on. So that's an unfortunate issue. I know some of the bigger crypto traders are um, are looking at putting things in place to stop it, but it's it's difficult. You know, it's it's a it's a tough one. Then the other thing we saw lately, I saw quite a few of that uh, by by the end of last year was um, let's call it the unlawful association with a regulated um, FSP, a regulated intermediary. So an operator will take uh, an FSP number of a regulated FSP and then display that and use that and create the impression that he or she is associated with often quite a substantial FSP. And of course, that creates a lot of, a lot of comfort for, the, uh, for the, um, the public. And if you are a busy man or woman and you see that, you might just be tempted into carrying on without really checking it. Uh, so that's, that's also another interesting trend, an unfortunate trend uh, that we've seen lately. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that's what BHI Trust was doing because I certainly saw one or two contracts that were sent to me by clients. The contract was not actually between BHI and the client. It was between a, a company which had an FSP license. So it, it looked, unless you know what you were looking for, you would completely miss this. But that they were almost like phantoms in this contract, but the money was going into their account, BHI I'm talking about. Absolutely. Um, that That is so typical of these type of, of operations is it's very difficult to untangle who played what role and exactly what do these contracts mean. And I'm talking now as an, as an experienced investigator. It takes time for my team to unravel all of that. How on earth would you expect the public to see that at first glance? That's all designed on purpose, of course, you know, and, and somewhere in that group, there will be an FSP. So it all looks good. But um that's not really how it works, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. All right. A question I've got to ask you is, how big is your investigations team? Because I imagine you've now taken on quite a bit of extra workload. Yes, you are. <laughs> you are right. And I certainly hope the bosses are listening when I tell you <laughs> I need more people. <laughs> yeah, we are about um, just under 50 strong. Um, and that ranges from assistant investigators to investigators, senior investigators and team leaders, senior managers. So I employ most of the graduates and I employ mostly people with, you know, with an investigative or a prosecutorial or a um, civil litigation background. Lately, I've also been employing analysts, financial analysts, of course. I'm not talking about CFAs. I'm talking about people that are well suited, that has the skills to analyze bank accounts, follow the money, use the software available for those type of things. So that's the team. But we haven't really added a lot of additional numbers yet for crypto because there will be a lag. You know, there will be a bit of a lag before that kicks in. But you are right. Uh, we're certainly going to need to need more people. Um, but you must also remember the scams move from one fashion to another fashion so um it will die down in, in another arena as well all right uh, gerard thanks for that final question though what, what are some of the tell and i have asked you this before uh, i think every time i ask you this <laughs> but i think it's we've got to remind people what are the telltale signs of a financial scam 
Yes, you're right. And every time you ask me that question, I'm very grateful because that is the message we want to get out. You know, that is so important for people. You cannot hear this this enough. Um, what what should you be looking for? And and we see it. It's like we see it in every case. It's always there. And I'm talking about scams now. Of course, we're not talking about how should you pick your legitimate crypto provider. Uh, other issues will 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 come into play there and that's not what we're talking about i know exactly what you're asking and that is how to avoid a scam and how to avoid that horrific misery um that my team and i live with every day of pension money gone of investment money gone etc so i think the one that's always on top Kieran, is unrealistic returns of course if it's too good to be true it's back to that old saying Unrealistic return must tell you that this is impossible and avoid it at all costs. The interesting trend we're seeing there is that the promise of the unrealistic return is not over a month or six months anymore like it used to be. It's now sometimes down to hours. So yeah, that's the that's the latest. So they will promise you a magnificent return within so many hours. So, you know, if, if somebody doesn't think that through, that's an extremely, um, that's very easy to get seduced on that. And let me guess the, uh, the, the, the second part of that is when you're trying to pull your money out, you've got to pay another fee, right? Always like that. And, yeah. and so many people do always like that. Yeah. Uh, there's always some story um, that for me to process this, unfortunately, because of some fine print, you have to pay an additional amount, and a lot of people do. They, they will call it tax. You've got to pay tax on this. <laughs> yeah, there's some, some tax they dream up, yeah. And that's actually a good point that you make. I, I think that's actually something we can add to the list and say, if you have to pay any money to withdraw your money, your money because that doesn't make sense, you know. <laughs> you shouldn't be charged for that. I'm not talking about a bank fee or something like that. So maybe that's a good one to add, Kiran, for, for us in the future. The other thing, of course, is um, the claim that no license is required. And as I said before, it's hard to imagine a situation where you can provide financial services and you don't need a license today. Uh, now that we've put crypto in the pot as well. There's some, there's a little bit of exception in private equity, but the public should never be approached for private equity. So it's really not relevant. So a claim that a license is not required, that's a big red flag. And I encourage the public to please contact the FECA and inquire about that. And of course, the other one that, that you and I have spoken about before is vague or confusing information, both about the financial product. We so often interview somebody, an investor, and we say to him, what was the financial product that you bought? And they said, they've got no idea. It's just called an investment. And of course, also vague and confusing information about the process. There's a reason why that is so vague and confusing. And if you are a licensed operator, you, there are strict rules about disclosures and about um, making sure the client understands what he gets into, etc. So that's a big red flag as well. The other one that I've seen quite often is that sense of urgency. You know, this good deal is going to go away. That's something that the the public must be very careful of. There's no reason for a good deal to go away. Um, Yeah. Uh, And then, uh, yeah, and if you're talking websites, of course, poor grammar, poor spelling, that type of thing uh, is a big indication, but they have become sophisticated. So if that red flag is absent, do not get comfort out of that.
there are so many of those, but I think those are the ones that I think um, is easy to spot and and uh, should just tell you to keep your money and not, uh, not go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, and I guess in future, the first port of call, everybody should do, do due diligence, go to the FSCA website or phone. Yeah. There's a toll-free number there that you can phone and ask, is this company that's invited me to participate in this investment, are they licensed and what is the license number? And if they're not, well, you just walk away from it. You just walk away from it. You're, you're so right. Um, the first port of call must be to check the website. And if there's any confusion or any anything that's that's uh, that's difficult to understand, then phone and find out what the story is. And that's uh, that's the, I can add something to what you've said, um, Kieran, and that is also look very carefully what they are licensed for. So you know you might you might be licensed. Uh, let's talk about a very easy license. You might be, be licensed to sell long-term insurance, life life insurance, or something. Um, if you then start doing investments, you are you an un, un, unlicensed operator, you know. So that's that's a definitely in addition to checking the website is know what you're looking at. Yeah. All right, Gerard van Deventer, Head of Enforcement at the Financial Sector Conduct Authority. Thanks for joining us, Gerard. That was a fascinating discussion. I look forward to hearing from you as the year progresses and more of these licenses are issued. Only a pleasure. Thank you very much, Gerard. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.